cut to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? You're drowning and I throw you a life jacket. Would you grab it? Yes. Good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Well, we're based back to Jacks. I'm Tom Myers, Mr. Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures up 22 after yesterday's yet another drain in the market. Uh, Dow up 119, Nasdaq up 131. We're trying for the we're trying for the not dead cat bounce today. We kind of had that for a little while yesterday, and then uh, all of a sudden we just pulled the rug out from under on the close again. I don't know anything to do with the president speaking or not, but it was, it was coincidental with it. It's like uh, Dow collapses as Matty Weber leaves the, bed, the men's room. You know, it's kind of one of those deals, but. Definitely, we were a uh, big run up in gold yesterday. A lot, of, a lot of stuff happening. Lou, how are you, bud? Very good. I'm, I'm actually surprised this morning that Ukraine hasn't been invaded after that disaster of a press conference yesterday by the president. Um, I was listening to bits and pieces of it. It seemed like, uh, I don't know which was worse, him or the, him or the questions. Can we get some people to ask uh, some real questions? The, quest, the questions were scripted. Most of the questions were scripted. And and he had uh, he had rehearsed or actually the answers or key points to the answers written down in front of him. Uh, Bart got I, I mean he he comes across as kind of a doddering old guy and and I guess I give him some credit for the fact that he's made it into a year. I didn't think he would last a year uh, before somebody would would start to say why are, why are we listening to this guy? Um, but. It, it's readily apparent that he's, um, I, I, I just think he's, you know, he's in his dotage and the, 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 uh, cells are misfiring and he's not really sure. He's not really, he's not really there with respect to, to, you know, how he's trying to express himself. The, the comments about Ukraine, he, you know, were, were, if I lived in Kiev, I'd, I'd be alternatively packing a suitcase or uh, or uh, stocking up on uh, on ammunition because it it was crazy. Um, he's at his worst when he uh, you know when he ad libs and and doesn't have a rehearsed answer in front of him. What do you and say about it, the, what do you say about a disaster? A, I think. What did he say about a small incursion might be okay or something like that? Was, what was that all about? Some off the off the cuff remark about. What it would take to get a response by, you know, by NATO. And, you know, he, he basically said, uh, I'm, I'm, and Russia might, Russia might, uh, be able to, you know, make a small incursion without triggering a, triggering a response from us. But, you know, if they went ahead and did it, it would be, they would pay a heavy price. And he said they'd prevail ultimately. And I, I just, I just think he's, I don't think he can hold a consistent thought for more than about 15 or 20 seconds of that. And then he starts to ramble and dissemble and, and that's, that's what happened. I don't, I don't think it was meant to be that he was making necessarily an expression of national policy. He was just thinking what came, just saying what came into his head, uh, at, at that particular time. You know, it, it for as critical as 
people were, as the mainstream press was with, you know, when Trump did this kind of thing, um, they are, they are amazingly quiet on, on this. And, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine what Europe and Asia, you know, thinks when they look at this guy and say, this is a guy literally with his finger on the button. And I also wonder, and we've talked about this before, what kind of erosion is going on in the White House with respect to somebody who is, you know, the head of the National Command Authority, and and what's being done to make sure that that in fact we're not inadvertently or, or about to inadvertently start a war somewhere. Well, I. The idea that the, the vice president is no help is sure not helping. How's oh no, she's no, no, and, and I mean he. I I I I, I will thought this team was an absolute disaster, but you know Kamala, 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 whatever, however pronounce her name, Harris is is what you get when you don't select for, you know, quality or intelligence or political acumen or anything else you you select based on you know biology and that's that's you know he said he was going to do the president said he was going to do that that was his basis for making the decision and and this is what this is what you get well how do these people um, how do these people uh, you know who knows uh, somewhere with all the crazy not crazy stuff but stuff people send me good stuff actually uh i got this thing about about Trump, you know, who, who the hell knows if it's right, but it nothing went into how much, what kind of drugs the guy's on every day, how many prescription drugs he takes, even, even, the first, the first Trump or the Trump. President Biden? Trump, and I mean, if, if any of that's true, I, I, I wouldn't manage money with that, taking all that stuff, I mean, let alone, you're, you're talk, well, this story, this story came out during the campaign and was quickly suppressed. That it was it was a, a, an anonymous or allegedly anonymous, very detailed uh, message from a uh, someone who was in, very close to the campaign and was talking about the medications that they needed to prop uh, uh, up the, the president during the campaign and how they were very very careful about who bought the prescriptions. So that they had staffers, different staffers going out and buying the prescription medication under their name, which of course is illegal, um, and so that, that uh, you know President Biden would, would or then you know, Vice President Biden would would be propped up well enough, and then you know he had good days and he had bad days, and that's why they were putting a lid on the campaign at like eight thirty in the morning because they they could tell that he was not going to be capable of making any kind of an appearance. That they would limit his public appearances to when they had, you know, the cocktail, or whatever it was they were giving him would would be uh, would be effective, um, and and that that report was was quickly suppressed, but it gave a lot of detail about the stuff he was taking and and how they were going to great lengths. I mean, it, it reminded me of that NFL story that we talked about where the where clubs were were buying drugs on behalf of. Certain speaking players of which, giving them to other players. Speaking of which, whatever happened um, to that lawsuit? I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about it. It's and been I was years. going to mention another lawsuit today for you. 
we can leave we can leave the the president's press conference for now. I'm, I, uh, as we say in the legal business, recipes a look at her, which means the thing speaks for itself, literally as well as as well as uh, well. But it, 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 but it sort of it sort of does and it doesn't. If, if we had if we had two guys that are both piling pills in, uh, Trump and this guy, why why? Can't why can't we get anybody? What's wrong with our system? If this is our choice, well, uh, but the, the the problem with the system, if if I mean, President Trump took a physical, and at least we had a doctor coming out and saying, "Okay, here's here's you know he's healthy as a horse." Blah blah blah. You could believe that or disbelieve it, whatever. We haven't had that with with President Biden at all. No, we haven't. And and I mean and I mean this performance this performance yesterday should at least in a responsible press trigger. A request, a demand by the editorial boards of the Post and the Times and, and everybody else, to the Tribune, for a physical. Well, we want a, we want we want a physical exam of the president. We want to know what his physical mental status is. We want, uh, yeah, we want to know what medications he's taking. I mean, I mean, this is the same kind of thing that existed, uh, may existed with a lot of presidents, but we know now existed with with John Kennedy. Who, who was heavily medicated? Oh yeah, during the during the entire time of his presidency. Now, he was heavily medicated because of injuries he sustained in, in World War II. But the idea is the same, and and this kind of performance ought to ought to be shooting up alarm bells for everybody um, to to say let's get let's get some medical information on this guy. Well, uh, yeah, uh, chief, if we keep electing, you know. I, I'm not a Barack Obama fan, but the guy the guy was physically fit and and you know, there was no question about his um you know, his mental faculties. If we keep electing you know, septuagenarians and octogenarians to this job, then then these issues are, are gonna be there. Health health is a, well, you know, is a I, major factor and should be. I was uh, actually out with some people last night and one guy's having his 79th birthday today, and I'm going to say that mentally he's way far ahead of Trump or Biden, as I'm close. It, it's it's completely, as you know, it's completely idiosyncratic, and and as as we get older, you can start to detect within yourself the the, the limitations that you've got, both both physically and mentally. And I mean, I, I I know I'm not as sharp as I was, you know, ten years ago. Oh, well, you're sharp in terms of in terms of, of you know my ability to remember things and. And stay with certain tasks. The this is so idiosyncratic. It's something that ought to be that ought to be flagged out on the campaign. And it was. If you if you could get past the fact that you know you were, the other guy was was a little bit of a um, you know a loose cannon. A little bit. Uh, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Then, then you could look. You could look at. Well, I called the guy Captain Underpants throughout yeah. the campaign. Then, then you could see the fact that the, the Biden's people were sending a very clear message that this guy wasn't physically capable of, of doing the job. He couldn't show up for press conferences. They wouldn't. They wouldn't put him out in public. Um, he wasn't able to address the address. You know the. the uh, well, what the is press. the? What is the? Let's go back. Let's back up just to hear her. Let's let's. By the way, I, I want to get I want to get to a topic that will combine your favorite. Topic and and sports in one in one package, and that's antitrust. Okay, let's uh, just 
in, in terms of a, of a let's let's back this up. Let's say it's Solomon up there. Okay, now we've got this situation with Ukraine, and Russia is trying to they sense weakness somewhere. Um, and, and I'm going to say rightfully so. The people here have no 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 stomach to do anything. I don't think young people, old if, people. By the way, what if, what if what if what is happening in Russia? And by the way, if you look at the videos coming out of the former Soviet Union. Russians have been moving equipment all over the place yeah, oh yeah. in the West. What if this is not a, a, an effort to get Ukraine? It's an effort to get Lithuania or Estonia or Latvia. Well, that's where, that's kind of where I want to go here. The, so let's say somebody who has some of their faculties, like maybe you or me, we're going to go out there and we're going to do this press conference. You have a bunch of knuckleheads asking us, oh, what are we going to do? What are we the answer is nothing. Well, I mean, what are what are we going to do? We're gonna, we're, gonna, we're going to cut them out of the uh, the check cashing thing or something, which would you know? Here, which here's, would... here's the answer. The answer is we are going to respond to a a Russian military attack or any other kind of attack on Ukraine or anywhere else along the Western Front with an appropriate response. That will that will cause Russia to rethink the wisdom of taking such an action. I, I get the answer. Now, the question now: What does that mean? What are we going to do? All right. All right so you're you're asking me not to give the answer, but but our options. Yeah. What's, so, what's, so what's, what's, what's the real what's the real answer? Would be cyber attack. That would you know a non kinetic a non kinetic attack that would disable certain aspects of the of the Russian economy. That might take down banking. It might it might shut down their ability to run certain pipelines. It might frustrate their you know whatever. Those are dangerous because we've got we've got a lot of vulnerabilities too. But we might we might do that. Um, we might shut out their uh, or or lock down their their ability to get money. Putin's ability and the ability of his of his leadership team to have access to money. We might siphon it out of accounts from overseas. Um, we could arm the Ukrainians with some very high tech stuff that would allow them to begin to equalize or at least impose a significantly higher cost on, on uh, any Russian military effort. <clears throat> things, things like, you know, some, some Particularly smart weapon systems that we have, surface to air stuff, uh, long range bombardment stuff that, that could create real problems for, for the Russians. The, the trouble, of course, is when you put that stuff into the hands of, of people in, in countries like Ukraine, the technology could be pipelined immediately back to, to Russia or anybody else who wants to buy it. And I wouldn't put it past the you know, elements of, in the Ukraine government which I suspect has been heavily infiltrated by, by Russian intelligence, uh, elements in the Ukrainian government to, to see something like that happening. Um, there, there, are, there are ways, there's some ways... Right, are, we, are we going to get any we help? Could take, we could take direct act, kinetic action ourselves. Is, is it, um, are we going to get any help? Pardon me? Are we going to get any help? I don't does know. Germany the care? Polls you take... The polls will help us. Well, okay. Um, that I get. Some of the Eastern European governments might might kick in. Does the, what about um, Germany? There, there a, Germany, France, there's Britain. There's a fascinating story, science fiction story that was written 
maybe seven or eight years ago about uh, the, the NATO basically taking kinetic action against a Russian move into the Baltics. And it involved special operations teams from the United States, UK, France, a couple of other places, landing in various places within within the former Soviet Union and basically raising all kinds of hell to take the Russians the Russians uh perceptions or, or focus away from the impending attack. We not, they knocked out they knocked out some cyber nodes, major, you know, uh, data centers and things like that. But what I recall specifically about the story that I thought was absolutely brilliant was they took C seventeens, which are you know big transport aircraft, and they landed them on highways outside of major Russian city, a couple of major Russian cities, and unloaded two or three, well, in, in this case, unloaded a tank out of each airplane, like a British Centurion or an Abrams, manned by special operations forces. And that tank just went on a rampage, uh, you know, racing through and destroying airports and all kinds of other stuff. Obviously, the intent was to abandon it and and then, you know, extract these, these teams. But can you imagine conducting... A trying to conduct a military operation, and there's a there's a fully armed tank running amok in your metropolitan area. How long would it take you to muster something that could knock it out? You know, attacking an airport, you know, shooting the place up, and again creating all kinds of mayhem. And that happens in three or four different places. And and again, you're you're trying to conduct this invasion, or you're, you're looking to conduct this military operation. And within your own country, there are these pockets of craziness occurring that that you have to deal with first. Well, this was the kind what, of what is response to a to a projected Russian attack. What is what is in, our uh, in that area? What is our in, in Europe's official relationship with Ukraine? I mean, obviously, we love AV. And we we love have a. Or we have NATO. a memorandum. We have a memorandum of understanding. I think it's called the Bulgarian Memorandum or something like that. Signed back in ninety four, ninety five. That basically says we will we will come to the aid of Ukraine if it is if it is attacked by uh, you know by Russia or by any of its neighbors acting on behalf of Russia that we're supposed to help defend them. It's not a treaty. It's a memorandum. It, it, it's much like the sort of a memorandum of understanding we had with the former Soviet leadership that we would not try to, we would not try to recruit Ukraine um, as a member of NATO. So, so it, there's, there's a quote piece of paper out there, but it's not binding on us and it's not binding on, on NATO. Um, My read, for, for for lack of a total, totally one man's opinion here, because I've seen this a couple of times, very young, uh, with Russia. If they if they try and do something, this is just my opinion. If they try and do something, and the Ukrainians fight back, and it's it lasts for a while to where we can think about doing something. I think we will probably find a way to help them, as you say. We'll probably do some of the other stuff. We'll probably do all the stuff we can money-wise as we possibly can, but if they wander in there and in two weeks it's all theirs, and in another two weeks we f- we'll forget about it totally, we don't care. Just like they did in Czechoslovakia. Once they're in there, we can't get them out, oh well, let's go, let's go to the ballgame. 
Um, well, certainly the... So, so you see an interesting confluence of far right and far left on, on this foreign policy issue. There's a number, there are a number of people in the far right who say, we don't care about Ukraine. What, what interest is Ukraine to us? And much like we didn't care about the Sudeten land, what, what do we care about? What, what interest is Czechoslovakia to us? Um, you know, that, that, that group is on the far right of our foreign policy establishment. On the far left, they say, we've got racism, sexism, ageism, Picurism to deal with here in the United States, we don't we don't care. Right. You know, oh, yeah. This is a distraction from our ongoing social justice efforts in the United States, and we don't care about what happens in 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 Ukraine. It it, it doesn't it doesn't affect us, and it's probably a bunch of you know it, it probably relates to the our racist foreign policy anyway. And and you know the the, the Russians have a legitimate interest. In setting up a buffer around uh, around Russia, so that they aren't they aren't subject to uh, to incursions by by NATO. Um, and there's no chance they want two elements. They don't, they don't, I, I can tell you which element dominates in the White House right now. Yeah, all right. And, and, and it, nobody it's seen as a distraction in the president's effort is his here for now futile effort to to get some kind of working political majority in Congress. So that he can, they can enact the social justice, voting, whatever reforms that the, that the Democrats feel they, or, or this element of the Democratic Party feels they have to enact. Well, the idea of anybody's uh, people that are involved, it, it, you know, nobody wants their kids going off to war anyway. But I'm going to say this generation really doesn't want their kids going. The idea of somebody would that, that the, the kids I see being in boot camp next week, uh, I, that would be an interesting dog to have hunt. I, you know, can, can you can you can you can you watch your cell phone when you're in boot camp? We are rapidly we are rapidly approaching a point in this country where our young people are are getting to where are, are in a condition much like you saw in the Soviet Union back in the 1990s. In the Soviet Union back in the 1990s, I remember make, read, reading this and, and making this comment. Something like 60% or 70% of their young men were unfit physically or mentally to, to participate in the armed forces and in the draft and were being rejected by military intake centers because they weren't able to, they weren't able to, uh, perform at a level necessary for to even complete basic training. We are, we are very close to that level right now because of, because of drug use, because of criminal convictions, because of lousy physical fitness standards, whatever, um, and and I, I mean that number. This, this, I saw this number in you know Armed Forces Journal or something like that. It it's amazing and kind of appalling. But if we had to go to war in a major fight, we would have to institute something like a draft very quickly, and it would have to be you know it, it would be a major issue. We would, we would find ourselves bringing in people who are manifestly physically um, unfit. We would have to train up, and and we would have to waive a number of the standards that we're currently using to to bring these folks in to uh, to populate well, you know, repopulate our armed forces after a conflict or during a conflict. That's like one that. of the reasons why you don't want me. You don't want me as president, well, because if I was 
doing the news conference and one some bump male or female said what are you going to do over there well the first thing we do is draft your kid how does that sound um well the military my military friends would say you don't want the draft but or my my retired general friends would say you don't want the draft but i mean i i i wouldn't say that i would say we're going to leave all our options open yeah well that's and and well, that's what I'm trying to get at. What exactly are I know that the, the Russia? I, I think what's the name of the uh, God? Maybe Maddie can look this up. The, the international uh, uh, that that's why as much abuse as people gave uh, uh, Barack Obama regarding giving cash to the uh, Iranian government and that deal on the the planes and all that stuff. Uh, oh, the non. The, the, the nuclear proliferation, non-proliferation arrangement that they have with the Iranians. Well, you know, the funny part on that one, well, the only people... I'll give you, I'll give you money, stay quiet until the next election. Well, no, what, it, what happened was, is, and this is bizarre, well, well, all the stuff that was written on, but of course the right was all over it, and the left even was kind of all over it. Um, the only guy who, even once in a while, Lou, somebody knows even more about this than, than you, it's very rare, uh, Fari, remember Fari? Uh, yeah, Fari's dad was all over that. He was the Shah's uh, Air Force guy, or the second in command of the Air Force, or something. Well, that money that we gave Iran was was money that was sent over here as a down payment and planes and tanks. Then the Shah got overthrown, and we never gave the money back, and never gave him the planes right. and tanks. Right. And, and the and the and it's been a you know a, a bone of contention for. Like 30 years. Hey, you guys got our dollar. We never got any planes. And, uh, and evidently, Iran is, has been booted out of whatever the central, where's my buddy Robert from the Fed? In order to cash a check anywhere, it has to go through, you know, it has to either go through the Federal Reserve domestically or, or foreign wise. There's a, there's a, there's an international check cashing mechanism. Well, Iran has been booted out of the mechanism. So if, if we gave them cash, which sounds awful, but if we gave them a check, they literally couldn't cash it. So, if we were going to pay them, we had to give them cash or gold or something, and we didn't want to give them munitions. So they gave them cash, which uh, you know sounded appalling to me as well. But at least th- there was a reason for it that made sense. We we, we couldn't well, give them a check. Uh, one of the reasons one of the reasons we held onto it was it was reparations for the damage to our embassy and the destruction of our embassy. I thought that was a fair trade. Um, yeah, you, the question question I always ask, so we got to go to break here, is did that money go to the, initially, 30 years ago, did that money go to the defense contractors, and then when the money came, went back to those guys that, that they had paid in advance, uh, did that come out of the government, or did, we call, did Lou call Lockheed and say, hey, remember that $3 million you got in, in 1970? I want it back and get the check from Lockheed. I bet they didn't. Oh no, that that money didn't go back to the to the contractors. I mean, I mean, or, or the contractors. The contractors did not take a financial bath on that. No, we bought we bought the we bought the systems. The, the part of the transfer was going to you know, was going to the Shah. The contractors got paid, and and then the weapons the weapons sat over here. SP futures up twenty. Us, the Iranians gave us the money, and then the weapons sat over here. SP futures up twenty. Nasdaq futures up one seventeen. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. 
Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. It's Matt on the board. SP futures up 16. We were up 20. Now we're up 16. We're still up. NASDAQ futures up 100. Uh, well, 97, 100. keeps flashing back and forth. Dow futures up 142. Uh, individual stacks in the Dow. Uh, we got Amgen up buck fifty. Uh, we got Caterpillar up a buck eighty nine. Some stocks have hung in there. Some not so much. Microsoft up three fifty two. It took a little bit of a bath yesterday. They keep trying to try and buy this. Uh, the Activision man, they're trying to buy, and uh, for sixty eight billion dollars, that's a big. That's a big number. Interesting to see how that works its way through the regulatory group here in Europe, everywhere else. But I, I don't really have any early call on that. DAX up sixteen. Well, it's not very much considering uh, yesterday we were down. Uh, that's up 0.1%. FTSE up down 5. Uh, it's 0.1%. CAC around down 14.2%. Europe amazingly uh, quiet here considering all the stuff that we got on yesterday. Nikkei up 305. Right, we're down huge yesterday. That's 1%. Shanghai down 3. Call that flat. Hang Seng up 824, 3.4. Uh, China cut a key lending rate, uh, which is... Interesting. Uh, property stocks are up. Tech stocks are up because they're cutting their interest rates, which is kind of what's different. Because they have huge inflation over there, allegedly. Uh, yesterday is a way of uh, review. Dow is down 339. That's a full 1%. S&P down 44, a full 1%. NASDAQ down 166. That's 1.15%. So not good. Again, yesterday for the NASDAQ. Uh, bonds, 1.84. The bond was above zero for just a heartbeat yesterday. Now it's ducked back down to minus 0.02. Japan positive 0.14, like it has been for a while. Oil down, wow, down 35 cents, 86.61. That's been an amazing run 
in the mid 60s. I'm going to say two, three months ago. It's been up every single day. I'm here. Rent down 30 cents, 88.14. Natural gas down seven cents, 3.95. Uh, back under four bucks. Which, considering we have a little bit of a cold snap here, it's kind of interesting. Our bob unchanged, 2.45. Gold is down 6.50. Had a big run up yesterday. I trade 18.36 silver. It's been up heavy two days in a row. It's now down three cents, pausing a little bit. 24.19. Copper up three cents at 4.50. Uh, Bitcoin up 273 to 41,939.69. Even though it's up 273, it's still a thousand dollars less than we did on the show yesterday because it went down during the day. You got to keep track of this Bitcoin all day. I don't even all night for that matter. Maddie, what do you have for us? Traffic weather sports. 37 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We have a disabled semi on the tri-state southbound right at 290 that's blocking the two right lanes, and that's causing congestion on southbound I-294 as your approach 290. So that's our only real concern right now on any of the area expressways. No issues on the Edens or Kennedy. Eisenhower looking good. Same for the Stevenson. Southside expressways are all quiet. Off the expressways, uh, we had a, a major accident that happened overnight on the northwest side of the city that has Peterson Avenue between Pulaski and uh, Kedvale Avenue. So that's a new one. Uh, closed due to this crash. Kedvale? Kedvale. That's the word I was looking for. Car versus building with entrapment. Two occupants removed. One confirmed fatality. Others transported uh, with serious injuries at 4055 West Peterson. So right there at Peterson and Pulaski on the northwest side. And that remains closed, uh, so you have to avoid that area. Out in the western suburbs, there's a crash in Lombard, Main Street at St. Charles Road. And then south of there in Downers Grove, there's a broken water main at Washington Street between Warren and Rogers that uh, has the roadway completely iced over. And crews are on the scene trying to get that uh, cleared up. But everything else all quiet out there. Weather today, a cold and frigid day. Coldest it's been, I would say, so far this winter. Uh, uh, we'll reach a high of 18, but our wind chills will stay in the single digits. Right now it is clear and 10 degrees with a wind chill of negative 5. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 73 today. Right now it's clear and 47. In sports, the Bulls um, got a big win last night. They got Alex Caruso back, and that helped. Uh, still very shorthanded, but they were able to beat the upstart Cavs. 117 to 104 was the final. They also announced Wait that a minute, how come it's not upstart Bulls? They're just as upstart. Well, the Bulls spent a lot of money and were expected to be good. The Cavs oh. didn't, and they're, they're very good with a lot of young guys. Uh, Caruso came back and was a, a big contributor last night. They also announced that uh, Levine and Ball are will not make the upcoming three-game road trip, so they're both out indefinitely right now with knee injuries. Blackhawks were off last night. They're back in action tomorrow night as the Minnesota Wild come to town. Coyotes played. They beat the Devils 4-1. to one. And college hoops, uh, DePaul is a lot better than they've been in recent years, and uh, they had a nice win over Seton Hall the other night. Number 20, Xavier, came to town last night, and it was a good back-and-forth game, but DePaul came up one point short, following to tw- uh, to 20th-ranked Xavier, 68-67. Chief. What is Marquette's new name? Uh, the Eagles, uh, right? They're Eagles now, the right? Marquette Golden Eagles, I believe, yeah. They were the Warriors? They were the Warriors back in the day. They got rid of uh, the uh, Native American mascot. I think there were, there were warriors in the world before we even came to the new world, weren't there? Um, yeah. What does that have to do with anything? I'm just saying, uh, I don't know why they... My high school was the warriors, and they were originally a Native American warrior, and they changed, they just changed it to like a Trojan warrior, and, and kept the name warriors. Could have done that. 
Um, yeah, because yeah, it's it's good to make fun of the Greeks. Yeah, I okay. guess. <laughs> anybody, they're, any, they're, they're they're harmless. Any anybody that I, I, uh, I wanted, chief chief, I wanted to uh, I wanted to raise a story that that hit before Christmas, but didn't get didn't get as much attention as I I think it should have. And had I been aware of it at the time, I would have raised it with you because again, it combines your favorite subject, antitrust, with uh, with sports. And, and it also involves uh, MLB. So the uh, a consortium, a group of four minor league teams, have, have filed a lawsuit in New York uh, against, the major, against the Major League Baseball, alleging violations of antitrust in the MLB's unilateral revocation of an agreement that apparently had been signed in 1901. In, involving major or uh, minor league teams and the relationship that, that MLB has with minor league teams, revoked that agreement. The MLB unilaterally revoked that agreement, and and then said, "Okay, we're going to start pairing back our minor league our minor league teams that we're supporting, and and not just not just cutting them adrift, but basically shutting them down, and and to align align the minor league program more." Effectively with with MLB uh, with MLB sponsored clubs, and these these four teams obviously the victims of this this closeout. So they have sued alleging violations of the Sherman Antitrust Act. The problem for their case, of course, is that the Sherman Antitrust Act does not apply to baseball teams in this in this context. And I just a quick revisit of history. Major League Baseball, unlike the other major sports leagues, uh, enjoys a very broad antitrust exemption that was given to it by the Supreme Court in a case back, I think it was like 1922. I thought it was Congress. And, and, sorry? I thought it was Congress. They actually passed a law. No, it's a Supreme Court. It's a Supreme Court exemption. So, so that exemption existed up until I believe 96 or 97 across the board in all aspects of major league uh, uh, economic activity they could they could act collusively uh, in in their labor markets and their their economic markets whatever they could act that way and and nobody could do anything about it in 1996 or 98 something like that Bill Clinton signs the Curt Flood Act which eliminates baseball's antitrust exemption for labor markets and, and treats Major League Baseball just like every other professional sports league as a multi-employer bargaining unit as long as you've got a union in place and you're, you're engaging in multi-employer bargaining with the union you, you're exempt from it it allows you to act collusively you're exempt from the antitrust laws as long as the union's in place but in every other aspect of operation MLB still had the antitrust exemption that was given to them, or created to them by by the court. So that would that provides cover for this, uh, you know, this move by by MLB to shut these these minor league clubs down. So that four four minor league teams have gone into New York, the federal court in New York, and asked the judge to ignore or basically overturn. The uh, the MLB antitrust exemption that was created you know a hundred years ago, um, and and you know in an effort to try to to break the uh, 
to, to break this. It's a, it's a really interesting case, an interesting legal theory, but it, it involves something that we've talked about many times, and, and it, it's the first, as far as I know, you know, the, the first sort of concerted effort like this where they just go in and they're not looking for an exception to the, to the rule, to the uh, antitrust exemption. They are basically asking a federal judge to overturn it. Well, and, I mean, and, people um, can take. I mean, that, that's how you that's how you make new law. That's one way of making new law. But it's an interesting strategy that they're going into court to end run this rather than going to Congress. Well, you 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 said it wasn't a law. It, it was something that the Supreme Court did. It's a law, common law. Court made law is common law, but it's just as binding. All right. Well, then the court can change it if they want. The Supreme Court can, yeah. But they get there. If they get there. So so the guys behind this are a group of firm, very well-known and, and high-end firm called Wild Gato that, that I, I dealt with peripherally when I was in, in active practice. And um, a very good, a very good, you know, competent group of, of people doing this, handling this. They do a lot of baseball uh, union stuff. And... Um, it, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. I, I don't know whether you're going to find a federal judge, you might in New York, who's willing to stand up and say, yeah, you know, this whole, I think the whole, the whole rationale behind this 1922 ruling is flawed. There's no reason the MLB should have this exemption separate and apart from, you know, traditional, you know, this tradition. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, stand up and say no. Well, baseball's got to be happy. I'm not in the Supreme Court. I would overturn in a second. I, I say I, I miss I all the. Oh, I know you would. That's that's why I raised it. <laughs> well, I mean, see, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like when people take something as it's a good idea and take it to the to the the obvious, the non-obvious. I don't, I don't like it when there's a uh, separation of church and state. And everybody knows that means you get the, the little church that doesn't have to pay taxes and doesn't have to respond to the state. I'm not so sure that the, that the little church gets to sponsor a professional football team and not pay taxes. I mean, I mean, that's a little bit of a reach. Same way in Major League Baseball, because the guys at the top of the chain, and I know Kurt Flood and Andy Messerschmitt, you know, ruined their career over this, because they get a deal that cuts deal with them, why that affects some minor leaguer not being able to change teams, I have no idea how that, 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 that to me is a major reach that, that Major League Baseball gets. I understand the part about how they don't, you know, the, the antitrust allows them to keep another Cubs from down the block at Wrigley Field, but how that allows them to Buffalo a minor league team in the middle of nowhere, that to me is, a, is, is, a, is too much of a reach. I'm just saying. I, I, I don't have any problem with that. And, and the idea that a structure that has changed as substantially as MLB is still, was still being, you know, run under a contract that was written in 1901, um, is, it was first of all astounding to me that, that, that we were reaching that far back into a sports organization and this sports organization had maintained the integrity of that agreement. Essentially, without modification, for for that long, I I find just astounding. Number one, no, number two, it it's clear that there there should be some kind of modification to that agreement because the economics have changed so dramatically. 
Well, can you ask these, you... these relationships were established? So, so that that that's out there. That, again, those are my opinions, but that that's out there. Let me ask you this: I, to, to, I, then, to then have that to then have that um, antitrust exemption reach, as you just said, reach so broadly. You know, the NFL does something similar, but they do it in the context of a labor agreement, and the, the trade-off is that NFL ownership has to get the unions okay, or at least involve the union in things like stadium negotiations and things like this, if it wants the antitrust protection to, to, to conduct these kinds of operations. That's that's the trade-off. But, there, but there's no... To do that. Yeah, but there's no... The union in, in football, and even the, well, maybe not so much anymore, because Matty was telling me this morning about how, how this minor league thing is growing in the NBA. Uh, but in football, virtually everybody is covered by that agreement. I don't, I don't see why me as an entry level player in the Carolina League has to, has to, you know, is, is, is barred from going to some other team because what the major leaguers have done, the, the major leaguers don't represent me. I mean, how, what, what percentage of people in baseball are even in the major leagues? Ten percent. Well, but you you would you would typically have a major league contract in, well, no, in you the minor leagues. Not everybody does, but but typically uh, typically you would. Maybe. Let me, let me ask, let me ask you this, just in terms of, of my knowledge. I know that there's there's two there's two models. One is the the, the guys out in uh, tells the name of the place, uh, Midlothian or, or whatever it is, where the guy he owns the team, he hires the guys, he has tryouts. Now he's not an official major league. Uh, minor league, or he's not sponsored by anybody. And if I, I think the Cubs or anybody wants to sign somebody off his team, he probably gets something to sell the contract. I don't know how, what their arrangement is, but I, he's got to get something. But, uh, but say he does. Now the rest of the minor leagues, from what I understand, the major league club pays the players, pays the manager, the other guy's in charge of travel, food, field, umpires, I mean, you name it. And he, like the, you know, the Peoria or the South Bend Cubs or whatever. Um, are, are there any middle ground there where there's somebody where, where the Cubs pay a few guys for the Park Forest team or the guys out in uh, in Schaumburg, uh, what are those guys, the, the dogs or something? Is there any middle ground where the major league says, can I put this guy on your team for four months and I'll pay his salary and, and you can have him here? Or, or is, it, is it strictly black and white? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think it's strictly black and white. At I think least, it is too. At least with respect to team management. Yeah, I think it is too because those guys course, can't be close is, enough. And of course, this is what they were. This is what they were eliminating. They were eliminating the white. You know, they were going to say, "Okay, you're either affiliated with a major league club or or you're out." Well, and the guys that, that are out. They, that, that's that's why they were driving me. That that that's the basis of the lawsuit. So what's They're what's the what's the these, distance? Not affiliated clubs. What's the distance? Is it fifty miles? Forty miles? You can't have a minor my minor league team within fifty miles of a major league. That's why the you're the, the the one in Schaumburg and the guys on the south side and Gary, those guys are not affiliated because they're too close to the, the major league team. Right. I, I was going to say that it's the rail catch, right? But that well, that's, that's Gary. Yeah, that's, well, I can tell you stories I, about that stadium. Um, I'm sorry. I can tell you stories about that stadium. I that was a gorgeous facility. Every time I went by that thing on the on the tollway, I was going. It has been Whoa. A, it has been a stone cold loser for the for the city of Gary. Stone cold loser. Well, day one. That's because that's because the city of Gary is a stone cold. Uh, you, know. you could you could make the case that I have a in, in my as you know my my organized office. I probably have ten papers of of stadiums at all levels, 
that have been a stone cold loser for the for the cities that put up all the money. Gary is no uh, is, no, no surprise. Yeah, I mean, I mean the environment, the environment, notwithstanding that lovely, gorgeous stadium, the the you know situation outside of Gary is not one that make outside of that stadium is not one that makes me want to park my car out there and go to a game. You know that the uh, in order to, to get the money for the stadium, the owner went around to all the preachers, gave them some dough. So the preachers beat up on the mayor to have it done, and, and the thing is built as gorgeous as it is. Evidently, it's under it's under the water table there because you're right next to the lake, and it, yeah. Gary has to constantly be paying to pump water out from underneath the thing, or it's going to collapse. Well, I mean that doesn't that doesn't surprise me, but it is a it's a gorgeous facility. And, oh, yeah. and again, it is the rail cats, right? Oh That's yeah, oh, yeah. Hey, I got a, a question for you. Very, very simple. I want to ask you a definition. As the world is all over this guy, I can't his name. Who's the guy? Uh, Palapath something something with the big long last name. The guy who came out and said that the uh, the, the Uyghurs and the Chinas. Uh, oh yeah, came yeah, out. The, and said, the, the, the billionaire uh, who uh, he's. I think he's. Is he a first generation immigrant? I think. Uh, but he's also. He said, yeah, we don't we don't care we don't care about I don't care about the Uyghurs and. And don't talk to me about them. Yeah. Well, he's also uh, part owner of the Clippers, I believe. Yes. And uh, but just I, another reason, just another reason, I, I refuse to watch the NBA. Well, here's my question, uh, Lou. What, what I want to ask you and Maddie, please uh, define for me the word care. When I when I read the, when I read the first part of his statement, what he basically said, I think, you know, and I, I'm not in his mind. He basically said, on a day-to-day basis, it's not any of the top five things I think about, or something along those lines. And I'm going to say said it's not above it's not above the line where I I think about it, care about it, or or it, it's something that I I worry about. Uh, and I'm going to say that he's stone cold correct, and he's like 99.9 percent of the people in this country. What does it mean? What does it mean by care? I mean, if, if Governor Pritzker cared about it. Now, he'd, be, he'd be too smart to ever say that. But if he cared about it, he would not He would not absolutely fall over himself to get as many Chinese students paying full board in the University of Illinois as we have. I mean, what does it mean by care? If I, if I, I, I actually do, when I say the term, in my mind, I care about it. Uh, but I probably still, because I didn't look, not on purpose, bought something from China in the last month. I mean, what, what does it mean by care? I mean, you, you rant and rave about it, but you don't do anything? I mean, what, what is this guy supposed to do about it? Is my, is my, I'm not defending him at all, by the way. I'm not, but I mean, in terms of doing business, in terms of, we got a whole government. We're, we're doing stuff back in China. We can't. Well, let, let's start, let's start with the fact that we would not, you know, if he, if he did, if it, if, if he worried about the welfare of his fellow man, because that that really was was evident, I thought, in his remarks that he didn't care about anybody but himself, or maybe his immediate family. Um, if he worried about the welfare of his fellow man, he might, for example, within the NBA, make comments about the fact that yeah, we play over there, but but you know they've got concentration camps on, on a scale rivaling that of of the Nazis. Where they are systematically engaging in cultural and racial genocide against the against the subgroup within the Chinese population. I, uh, I we mean, know that, and we, we understand that. We're still doing business with them. But we understand that, and that's something that needs to be needs to be addressed. That would be something you could say. Well, I mean, we have. I guess what I'm saying here is, as you know, you know where my feelings are on this. I mean, I, I, I it's abhorrent to me. 
And in fact, it, we have uh, uh, Jeff did the whole thing in Luckbox about what's going on over there. And AV Angelica actually got us a guest from who was one of those one of those guys who lives here, and his parents are over there. I mean, I I, I feel awful about it. I, I just don't know what I can do. But we had this guy who's the big the big shot head of Black BlackRock, who's now the new Goldman Sachs. Talking about how we got to increase our business over in China and how much he should be buying, buying this and this and this over there. How the hell yeah. does, how does he get to say that? And nobody nobody cares about what he said. That this guy, I won't say a poor guy. I, this I, guy I, saw, I saw I saw a fair amount of blowback on that BlackRock statement. A little bit, so, but not like so this what, guy. What do you do? What do you do? Does it mean you don't buy things from China? I I don't know. I, uh, does yeah. it mean you Does it mean you call out the NBA? I think it does. I think it. Oh yeah. I think I think you I think you call out I think you call out the NBA. I think you just to the extent that you would if this guy had said, I think I think you know African Americans or Hispanics or whatever are are you know do I worry about the fact that they're being discriminated against? No, I don't care. Do I worry about you know whatever because of because of their race? No, I don't care. I think if that if if he had said something like that, the opprobrium that would have been heaped on him would have been massive, and the NBA would have been backpedaling his Well, if you, if, you don't, if you don't if you walk. If you walk into an NBA locker room and say, this is what we're going to do as a league, and by the way, all you guys are going to take a 20% cut, those guys want no part of that cut, Lou. They, they want no part of that cut. Just like... Just, just, I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm not, I'm not saying you do that. I, this, is, this is wrong. I'm saying that, that the country responds by saying the NBA is being led by by idiots who, who and, and people who don't care... Look! Look at what happened to the uh, the owner of uh, of. Uh, wasn't the owner? He was. What was the, the previous owner of the Clippers? Right. He wasn't the, the owner. Guy he was who supposedly a... said some terrible thing to his mistress that she secretly tape recorded. He was he was hammered, in, and forced out. Well, well, the guy from the as a result, San Antonio. Why is the same thing happening to this guy? Well, you don't really know if that's what what people can do. That would be an appropriate reaction. But what I'm saying is. Is at the end of the day, the, the the people we should be proud of are the women's tennis. Uh, they're saying we're not doing anything over there. Absolutely, you but, bet. But I mean, we're not. You bet. The uh, you could take all this discrimination you want towards blacks, whatever it is. Blacks. I mean, there's discrimination all over the place. We all know that, and just about all all fronts. I mean, if you if you ask the normal, I mean, I'm gonna. When I was down in Michigan City, I went to the, the Lighthouse Mall, which, of course, after COVID is like every other store is empty. There was a huge long line for the Nike store. And it's 75, 80% African American. Do you think if I would have got out with a, uh, a bullhorn and said, you do realize that these guys are using slave labor in China to make these shoes, do you think one person would have stepped out of line? So I, what, I guess I don't question, know, but I think, but I think if they went, if they went to church on Sunday and listened to their minister say, these people are evil. What they are engaging in is evil. This is not comparable to any evil that we have existing in the United States right now, or, or basically anywhere in the West. Then, then I think that would that would put a dent in those sales. Well, yeah, interesting world we're in. Eh? Well, Lou, we got a dash here, but what is you? I mean, I'm not going to say give us anything classified. Quick answer: What is with this five G in the airlines? It interferes with radar radar altimeters, which it, are generally a thing you want to have when you're flying in lousy weather. Well, does it? The people and in so, Europe say it doesn't. I mean, who's right? Well, I, I mean, uh, the airlines the airlines 
would not be raising the alarm over this because this cuts this cuts into their business and it makes flying seem less safe. The airlines would not be raising the alarm on this if there was not potential risk. And I don't understand what the Secretary of Transportation is doing, except maybe taking maternity leave again. I don't understand what the Secretary of Transportation is doing being quiet on this. This is something that falls right within his bailiwick, and and I would at least like it, like some kind of expression by somebody with authority saying, yeah, this is an issue, or no, it's not. But but for the airlines to come out and say there is a major a major um, communication system that's about to go online that's going to affect the safety of flight of our aircraft, knowing what kind of impact that's going to have on their passenger load, I, I think. It raises a, a real concern. I'd like to hear something authoritative on this. Let's talk about it next week. But SP you have a good weekend. Go skiing. SP Futures up 15. NASA Futures 106. Be right back to engineers. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single-family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Well, don't pay stocks and jacks. I'm Tom Mr. Weber, and the board SP Futures up 16. As a Futures 114, so we're staying up here. We were, like we came in, we were up 20, so we're still pretty much there. Uh, Mr. Dan, how are you, buddy? Good, good. How, how are you? I'm doing all right. I hear you've been a uh, short spoo all week. 
<laughs> yeah, a little bit. Actually, we're actually we've had a very good uh, start to the year, uh, and especially on a relative basis. Our names are doing quite well. Um, and, and again, this is the time when you invest um, the way we do, which is a little more conservatively, and you know, not looking as much at the momentum names, but looking really at those names that are solid, that you know, have strong cash flows, that that pay. Um, Dividends um, and uh, so yeah, no, we're 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 still long. Um, we're we're uh, like I said again, we've been fortunate to be in the right sectors of the market, and with focus on income, you know, and, and the expectations that rates are, are going higher, um, you know, the areas that we've talked about in the past that will perform well in this environment, we still expect to perform well. In fact, they've held up really nicely the last uh, the last three weeks. Dan, you mentioned. Uh uh, it was the last week or the week before, uh, one of the week before because we didn't do a show. Uh, um, this H uh, Y Z D, and I had a few people call yeah. in. A couple guys actually uh, wanted to get involved. Uh, I am, I'm not exactly 100 percent sure how those guys operate. Could you explain what they do again? It's a little different. Uh, a couple of my yeah, my so clients liked it uh, and actually you know got in. Uh, but uh, what, it seems a little different. I don't know. I would never have thought of something like that, what they were doing. I guess that's why I'm a little perplexed. Yeah, I mean, the, the ETF bonds in general in the ETF world haven't don't fall quite as nicely into um, the definition of uh, exchange-traded fund as, as equities do. And um, so think first, it's a, it's a long-only um, high-yield fund, so it'll, it'll be you know, invested in high-yield bonds. But then to take out the interest rate risk, which you have with high yield, although it's not, you generally have shorter durations with high yield bonds than you do with with treasuries or investment grade bonds, because the interest income will will um, bring in that duration because it's it's durations based on cash flows, the timing of cash flows, and when you're getting higher coupon rates early on, that's going to lower your duration. And again, think of duration as a measure of volatility. Um, uh, think of interest also as a protector of, of uh, interest rates. So what they do is they buy the bonds, the high yield bonds, and then they buy they buy just enough, or they short, I should say, just enough uh, either U.S. Treasuries or U.S. Treasury futures to keep the duration at zero. So in other words, you go into um, what would be a negative. Um, you, you have a negative uh, cost to carry. You, you're buying bonds, and then you go in short, like a, uh, a treasury bond that has a comparable mature, a comparable duration, I should say. So, if you buy a uh, hundred-hour par bond at say eighty or something, well, you don't want it to, you don't want it to go to sixty. You just want it to appreciate its way up. So, you you sell a treasury future because if the rate would go down. The bond would go to sixty, but now you're making up on the treasury what what you're losing on the bond. Basically, right. It's a it's a, it takes out that interest rate risk, but what it doesn't take out is the ability for the credit to improve um, or for the spread to tighten. Which okay. is how when spreads tighten, that's when credit improves. Um, when the when the specific uh, that's how you get out performance and high yield. And, and right now is not a bad time to be involved in a name like this for two reasons. The High yield market, as I mentioned, um, I've mentioned many times b- before, has not really reached its potential. If you look back in history, based on a spread, an average spread over Treasuries, we're at about 300 today. 
so it's 3% more than what you get on a treasury of the same duration. So if you um, think of high yield in general as a good market, and I still think it has good value here, unlike the equity markets, it hasn't broken a new high. And the way it would break a new high is by having a tighter spread. And the spread has gotten as low as 212 in the past. So you still can go from 300 to 212, and as that spread narrows, that's your way of, of um, getting out performance and high yield. The credit market, although I've heard a few things this week, but I don't agree with, that I don't agree with. The companies have been watching their balance sheets much more carefully. So high yield companies, in particular, we've had an incredibly low default rate. So for this environment, that's the other risk you have with high yield bonds. And for an environment like this, normally you would, we'd start seeing more defaults, and that hasn't happened. Companies have been able to refinance at, at uh, lower levels. In fact, one of our names, Southwestern um, Energy, which is technically a high-yield bond because it's got a rating of double D, uh, on Monday, the 24th, they'll be calling in the issue that we own, and that they're doing that because rates are low and because they can, and they can refinance now. They have plenty of time to refinance before rates go higher. So so high yield, I guess what I'm getting at is high yield in general is a very good investment right now. High yield on the shorter end is an even better investment. And this particular high yield ETF is a really good investment because we are concerned about interest rates going higher. And, and this is a way of taking out interest rate risk. I mean, there's a small cost for doing that, but it offsets the potential loss you could have from um, you know rates going much higher. Um, if I were to go back to, uh, I'll use the term, old guy normal, when uh, when the uh, high high uh, interest rate, read the word junk bonds were originally introduced, they came in at about uh, what eleven percent, and when when the rest of the world the thirty year was at what five and a half or six. Yes, yeah, that's about right. So they were they were roughly, I'll say. Uh, Percentage basis, they weren't quite double, uh, but they were like five points higher. Well, now they're on a percentage basis, they're probably even higher, but on a, on a real on a real basis, they're they're nowhere near a five point spread. Right, uh, right, you, and that's just because of where rates are. I mean, that's just a you know it, uh, the, the, but to still be able to get three hundred over your comparable treasury is. Is relatively high, as I mentioned, because they've gotten as low as 212. So you still have room to go, if you will, if you um, believe in the market, and I do in the high yield market. Well, the uh, isn't it a little bit? I mean, it's hard to go through company after company, but um, I've had some stuff from from some of the readers that, and the stuff that you're, you know, the companies you're messing around with, messing around, investing in, uh, they've actually. In general, have improved their balance sheets. Where the the big guys that are borrowing at ridiculously low rates and buying their stock back, people think their balance sheets are as good as they were ten years ago, and they're not. Is that is that true? It's. I think it's a mixed bag. It you know really depends on the company. There's some. You know, I, I'm in the middle of a conference right now. The, uh, yesterday and today, Sedoti uh, Small Cap Conference, and there are those companies that are even just in the small cap space. That have done a really good job of deleveraging in this environment and um, have, you know, have uh, increased uh, cash flows and have much more, uh, you know, much more focused on cash and cash flows and all that. And it and it's really helped them. 
in an environment where it's, it's helped them become more nimble in an environment where, you know, we're seeing higher wages, we're seeing higher raw material costs, we're seeing higher costs in general. And to the extent that a company can pass on those costs to their customers, that's great. But at some point, that they may not be able to do that. So being financially flexible um, and being in, an, being in a mode of deleveraging has been a good place to be for a lot of these companies. So we're having um, some that are doing a better job than others at that. And, you know, use Southwestern as an example. <clears throat> They're using this environment to refinance and to get that lower rate before rates go higher. But I don't see any of the companies being so highly leveraged that that's going to be an issue. You know, certainly having lived through the 80s as a high-yield bond manager in the 90s, the late 90s, when we saw leverage becoming a, a much um, bigger concern, you know, the companies in the high-yield space are, are not doing what they've done in the past. They're not doing blind pools. They're being very cautious about acquisitions. They're not necessarily financing acquisitions with that. They're looking for other alternatives, whether it be um, from their own um capital that's generated internally or they may use bank debt but it's it's a different environment and, and I really I would say that high yield is a lot more protected in general and of course it depends on the names that you invest in and the sectors just as it would in the equity market um, but if you want broad exposure to the market I think the majority of, of high yield names will continue to do good in here um, one thing also you can say about high yield Traditionally, a large portion of high-yield issuances from energy companies. Energy companies have done well. Um, the horizon looks very favorable for energy companies, not only with higher oil prices, but with the demand for energy across the board. And again, those companies that are well-managed are going are gonna to do quite well in this environment. And if nothing else, they're going to be good, steady holds, good, steady positions. Um, giving you some attractive yield um, in an environment where it's still tough to, to find yield. Well, isn't, it, isn't it surprising um, this is this time of the year, I, I'm not sure, but I'm guessing you do some of the same things with your people. We have our, our yearly review calls to everybody and yes. it, is, it is stunning to me that um, when I first put people in one of the groups I'm, I work with, in, in a lot of the uh, ETFs, well, it's over two years ago now, uh, and I, one of the things I would use, I used was, his energy was kind of, you know, basically on its ass. So I had people in the XLE, and uh, and for I'm going to say six months to a year, maybe more than that. Dan, as you know, is dead money. My XLE is the energy part of the S and P 500. Uh, it's, it's your Exxon's, your Schlumberger's, your Chevron's. Those are the guys that lead the pack in there. And uh, again, for those that don't know, if you trade the spiders. There's well they they split up the the uh, banks from the REITs right or something so yeah, there's actually right. ten there's ten little spiders that add up to the big spider there's there's the right. healthcare piece and there's the materials piece and anyway there's the oil piece or the energy piece there's the XLE hence the name E gets for energy and uh, and I'm going to say after six months or a year every single client said what what are you doing in energy it's not going anywhere oil's going to zero. <laughs> Okay, so I got out of every single one at everybody's request. You know, I'm not giving them grief because they... And now here we are, two or three years later, every conversation, how come we're not in the XLE? <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah, it, it is, 
unbelievable when 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 you know that that everybody wants be in stuff because it's going up and they don't want it when it's not, and yet you want the flip side of that trade. I think I think the XLE got down to twenty eight. Now it's trading sixty four almost. Was sixty four? Yeah, it's been I mean, a pretty sudden rise. I mean, just like yeah. the way I worry in general, you know, this the inflation that we've seen has been pretty sharp. You know, it's it's been pretty sudden. And if you look at what's happened with the oil prices, you know, we were thinking that at some point, maybe with the some of the additional reserves that are out there tapping those, that the rate would come down. It did artificially come down to about ten bucks, and then it just shot right back up again because there's such demand, and that demand needs to be met. And I think, um, you know, initially there was concern about, um, uh, you know, climate change um, legislature interfering with. Uh, companies and in shutting pipelines and all that, but but I think reality is is we're not there yet, and you know we're not going to be there probably for another decade. So these companies are at that their part of the cycle. Energy is at their part of the cycle right now, regardless of anything going on in the world. It's their turn, and it's been you know it hasn't been their turn for a while, but but over the past year it has been, and and these companies are running well. They they learned during their slow period you know, how to cut costs and how to manage more efficiently, and now they're in an environment to perform well. So, again, picking the winners in those industries or at least picking those companies that will be stable um, is really good, and I don't see, like, a major shift in, in oil prices anytime soon. I think we're going to stay on the high end um, unless there's some something that comes out of, say, Russia or Saudi, which is very unlikely because I don't think that would help their economies um, to make any drastic moves at this point. So, yes, I, I think it's good. I also agree with you sometimes that, you know, after the fact, it's very it's very tough. Our job is anticipating what's going to happen. So, and we tend to be, we're value investors, so we're looking for those names that are out, you know, that have already sold off, and hard for us to buy a name that's, at, you know, that's breaking a, an all-time high each day. So we are looking for those names, and even those sectors of the market that we think have upside uh, potential, um, and we're looking for those that have kind of gone through a lot of this that have been stable. So I think, like you, um, energy banks and financials will, you know, will do well as rates go higher. Utilities do well, REITs do well. So you know, the the inflation scares that we've had, or the inflation that we've had, and the concerns about higher inflation, um, there's still you can still invest and you can still make money. You just have to shift sector. And you have to be—you can't be afraid to get into some of the sectors that have been underperforming. Well, I think the, the individual places—you're right—but going into some kind of an extent, I, I have a question for you. And uh, you know, if Maddie wants to pipe in, please do. I, what is it about? I, mean, I you know, obviously, I've been, I've been all over this inflation issue since I got out of school because that was my job at Pullman. Uh, I—it's—it's it's stunning to me how, and I, and I didn't think. I know back then people were outraged because when the oil embargo happened, all of a sudden gas went from like 20-some cents to a dollar. It was like, God, you, may, you could have stuck a knife in everybody, right? And Because uh, it just, for some reason, gasoline is is the absolute inflation barometer. And, you know, followed up probably by food, maybe. Uh, because you're, you're, it's something you buy every day and you look at the price of what you're buying. But it, but it, but it is, it is so scary that if you do the math, um, I'm going to say that's so stone cold ignorant. I can't even go there. I mean, I I was having a discussion with, uh, well, I won't say my nephew, but I'll say my nephew. I said, you know, inflation has been in in the hospital group 
it's you're you're, you're a, a firm like PTI or uh, Kratos or somebody. I'm going to guess he's paying three times as much for uh, your insurance every month per employee than you were in 2000 or 2.85 is what I came out with. And I actually had the argument that well, what is that? How does that affect me? And I go, well, it affects you because if they weren't, some of that would be in your salary. Well, what do you mean? Right. So it's it, it's amazing how the average. And this is not a slam at people. But if if it's if it's not if it's not actually coming out of your pocket that second where you're staring at the price, right. somehow you ignore it. I mean, this idea right. that inflation is is recent. Yesterday, I did some stuff. Uh, Dan, I was looking at housing prices, and I, you know, the price of, of lumber since two thousand is up six times. Right. And the and the price of gypsum warboard is up is up uh, two two point seven. So and this is in twenty years with the, with the CPI. Up point six or point five eight. I mean, this has been relentless for a real long period of time, and it, and I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a huge Joe Biden fan. I mean, I don't think he's a bad guy or anything, but people grilling him. Yes, do the morons asking him question have any idea that one thing that's not a one year phenomenon is inflation? <laughs> this, this has right. been a, a fifteen year. It's like it's like blaming Carter for for the inflation right. when Nixon already had wage and price controls in years before i mean i mean how did that become Carter's fault in 6 months I mean, yeah no i'm i'm absolutely i'm absolutely on board with you and was that while i was watching that was was thinking the exact same thing and also i think you make a really good point that you know unless it affects somebody individually on a day-to-day basis whether they're at the grocery store or at the gas pump those i mean i look at that and say yeah that's inflation that's expected to have we're expected to have those are commodity-driven prices. There, there are supply chain issues. There's, um, you know, there's those things are understandable. And yes, I mean, it is a big increase when you know your chicken that you would spend six for, six dollars for is now fifteen. But look at what's happened to rent and housing yeah. prices, and look at how sharp that's been. And if you're not in the market to move, as say an individual. Or if you're a homeowner that doesn't have any plans to move, you know, I, I say homeowners should always be looking at. The property values and relative to their neighborhoods and to the, the to their geographic region. Um, anyways, just to, so that you're not surprised by a property tax bill or an insurance bill. But but there's but but those areas have had some you know really sharp. I mean you know almost runaway um, inflation and especially in specific geographic regions. So you're right. It's like some people wake up one day and they're saying, oh now I have to pay this much more. Or if you're not the one that goes to, if your spouse is the one that goes to the grocery store and, and maybe says, yeah, you know, there are a few things that have gotten higher and you're not really paying attention because it's not a big issue. And then suddenly you're out there saying, you know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I was looking at, um, you know, housing and my neighbor's house sold considerably more. And then you think, well, wait a minute, that means my property taxes and insurance are going up. So there's, there are, it, I think everyone, if it comes, it hits everyone in, in their, in their own time. Fortunately for us, being in the industry, we have to predict it. We've been talking about this for a year. It's, you know, and I think the administration can cover it up or make it look however it is. It's there. And you, and the way of dealing with it to a certain degree is just understanding that this is part of the business cycle. That interest rates go up at some point. You know, we've had an extended rally. Um, of rates of bonds, if you will, treasury bonds. Uh, well, all that the the COVID, the two-year COVID period, did is extend extend that two more years. And I go back to what I've said m- multiple times. If we go back to where we were two years ago, 
the issues that we as investment professionals, economists, we're looking at on the inflation front is wage inflation. Wage inflation is sticky. I talked to five guys, five CEOs yesterday in meetings, and every single one of them said the same thing. In fact, they almost used my words. I'm asking them about their their labor issues and that they know that they can pass on some of these, um, you know, raw material costs that might be temporary, um, but price increases, but they cannot pass along um, wage increases, and they're they're stickier, and it's hard to you know pay higher wages and then suddenly cut back, and it's going across it's across all industries now, and the demand for labor is going to continue to drive up prices and benefits, and you know when a company has to pay more benefits, um, as you were alluding to earlier, it's not just the base salary; it's other things as well. Now. Those costs are going to be harder to pass along, and that's going to just lead to more inflation. Well, some people have been uh, the chairman of Procter and Gamble. Yeah, we've been able to uh, so far we've been able to raise prices uh, to more more than exceed the the part we've had to pay. So their margins are actually up. Most of these big companies, it, this this inter, is intertwining here, Dan, between uh, uh, too much concentration industries. Too much, yes. too much of the salaries being at the, at the higher level instead of the lower. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a massive dynamic of about 15 planes all crashing in the same spot here, it seems to me. I, mean, I agree. I, but, you know, the funny thing about gas, if you look at the, the, the actual, no, nobody knows more about gas than me driving my Suburban with a 42-gallon tank, right? So it's not <laughs> like, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it, the average person, it's, it's, if the gas goes up a buck, it's $50 a, bu- a month. You 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 can blow through that in a nanosecond with with rent going up four hundred or or the price of your house going up twenty percent or your your hospitalization going up by five hundred. I mean, it's, you're not even close. You know, that's what people look at. It's it, I, you know, it's just sort of scary to me. I I, uh, I I have a feeling that you're you're coming across guys that aren't. They're not Home Depot. They're not Procter and Gamble. And I'm going to say some people are probably going to have a real problem uh, pushing through all the costs that that. Are, are, are sprouting up to them yet? I think the big people are not having a problem at all. They they they, they have market they have uh, you know market dominance. Market share, right? No, I think that's true. I think in the, in the areas where you do have market dominance, pricing you have a lot more pricing power um, as well. But then you know one of the issues has been and has it, it's been in um, even some of the companies that I've been talking to had issues that where COVID went through their their senior management staff and so they were shutting down parts of their business at, at certain times. And I, I don't think, I think this is short-term, but the problem that other places have, and that includes some of the larger organizations, is having to shut down parts of their business just because people have been calling in sick or they've stepped out of the workforce or, you know, they're demanding higher salaries. So I agree with you, but I think there's still more to come with the larger companies. I think there's still a, you know, I think they're out there recruiting. They probably have an advantage um, they have a huge advantage because they already have um, their their job seeking skills um, or the, the recruiting skills um, mastered, and yet a lot of these smaller organizations that are trying to grow or trying to add to staff are probably more challenged when they have a you know uh, an employee that says, "Well, I could go and work for a big organization that's going to provide and has been providing all these other benefits as well, or I can go to the middle size or the smaller company that never has." Provided like good health insurance or retirement benefits or um, you know uh, what you know promotion potential and all that so 
so I think some people are, are being selective. Um, oh, it's hard. The companies, like like you said, it's especially the smaller, mid-sized companies that are going to be fighting for talent right now. Um, well, it's hard in the for end, me. my belief, and it might be a little bit idealistic, but in the end, I think the companies that provide a better work culture and are a little more realistic about how they treat their employees are the ones that are going to survive, and those are the ones that have done well in this environment. Well, I've so I think a doubt. it's very important, not just for a job and a certain level of pay, but for an environment that's going to allow somebody to have a work-life balance or you know, possibly work from home a few days, and also upside potential. Well, I would agree. And I, if, you, if you were here, uh, well, you weren't on the show, but Kevin did a, a thing six, eight months ago regarding, Kevin O'Neill was on, on Wednesday and Friday, did a thing regarding, because his group, he, he teaches for uh, uh, one of these technical universities in uh, Indiana yes. where they do whatever. But he uh, did a thing on the truck driver shortage. Now, yesterday I was seeing this thing that people who are 18, 19, 20 now can apply in a pilot program to be truck drivers. We used to have to be 21. Because they're trying to bring, you know, they're starting with out of 500 people or something. And they're talking about these 80,000 people that are short. <laughs> and Kevin basically said that's, that's total BS. I mean, there's all kinds of people that have truck drivers. It's a question of some companies treat people so, so crappy that right. their turnover is 90% of the a year. Other people, their turnover is 10% a year and everybody's fine. They got all kinds of drivers. So a lot of it has to do with, I mean, like you, you were the guy, remember, uh, by the way, I want to ask you, what was the follow-up on your friends? Didn't he do a, didn't he apply for, uh, all the, all the places that have the help wanted in the door and his conclusion was they're, they're just trolling for the idiot who's still going to work at 10 bucks an hour and, and they don't have to pay 15 and they really didn't want anybody? Right. That's still, that's basically still the, the environment. I think there's been a few more phone calls, like, you know, coming from other companies and, and, but they haven't, they haven't quite stepped up to offer, offer enough, you know, to make it a, um, you know, attractive enough opportunity. So, and that I think is the is the balance. There has to be a point where, you know, um, people are uh, have the incentive to go back, and you know that has to be balanced um, pretty well. So there, you know, I think companies are doing a better job. When I sit through presentation or I do one on ones with them, they're doing a lot more. They have a lot more focus on how they treat their employees. You know, the benefits they provide and how they retain them. And an important part of that is training. And a couple of companies I, I interviewed with yesterday that are in the industrial sectors, um, we're, you know, we're having trouble finding employees at the, at the lower level, at the unskilled level, but labor level, but they do provide really excellent training programs. And I think they have an advantage there over a company, you know, a lot of companies are just sort of throwing people in because they, that one of the areas that they cut costs in recent years was the, you know, the training, the oh, education, yeah. the, you know, the incentive, you know, you have to have an incentive go to work and I think that uh, that's going to change you know and, and not to talk too much about politics but with the big the, you know with this BBB plan that to me there's certainly some aspects of it that could help you know providing some sort of you know help to elderly so people can get back to work providing some help to children so, you know child care so but then there's some others that actually I could see being some other aspects of the the, the that, that bill Dan, that could be detrimental to people going back to work. So you have to give people incentive to go back. Dan, there's a we got a dash, but you're. I'm going to say you and I and the rest of the people on the show could pull a hundred aspects of that bill that everybody would like and would pass tomorrow. But somehow that's not the game today. Yeah, absolutely. Take care of yourself, buddy. Absolutely. By the way, uh, yeah, you too. so you, you still like uh, you still like the uh, Southwest? Do you still like self? Uh, 
itself, SELF, yes, yeah, they've had a nice run, and I still like them. I, st- I still think the the uh, public storage read space is, is where it's at. Okay, but okay, thank you. Uh, thank you I'm very sure. much. SP Peter's up 23 now. It's the highest we've seen, 24. SP Peter's up 143. Be right back. with John Flanagan. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with their choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tim Allen. This is Brett Weber on the board. SP Futures up 23.75. We're trying to, um, well, I think I'm going to say we're going to try and make a, a comeback here today after we've been down like four days in a row. Down heavy too, so a bounce here would be nice. I know, uh, 
I've got myself, my client's pretty long here, okay, so a nice up day would be very nice, we'll see if we can get it, NASDAQ futures up 148, Dow futures up uh, 109, individual, we got the jobless claims, uh, 286,000, highest level since October, so that's actually um, giving people pause that maybe the Fed isn't going to be as aggressive at, at uh, raising rates before, every time we're, we're back into this little bit bad news is good news thing regarding the Fed, which is... Always kind of a trick bag, in my opinion. Over in Europe, we got the DAX up 20. Europe is muted. DAX up 22.1%. FTSE down 12.1%. CAC around up 18.2%. Uh, I'm sorry, down 18.2%. So very, very light over there. UK uh, coming back was down heavy yesterday, but they're back up 305 today. It's 1.1%. I think they were down uh, like 2.5% yesterday. Shanghai down 3. All that flat. Hang Seng, however, is up 824. It's 3.5%. As China cuts key ending, key lending rates. Property, one of them being the property rate, which is a kind of surprise, but they, that's what they did. As a way of review, yesterday, Dow Jones down 339. That's a full percent. S&P down 44. That was a full percent. NASDAQ down 166. That was 1.1%. Uh, bonds were 1.82 unchanged. The Bund minus point zero. Uh, almost four. It, it actually was positive for a nanosecond yesterday, but now it's stuck back in the negative territory. Japan unchanged at positive point one four. We got oil actually down a little bit today. First day down in a while. Uh, up down seventy nine cents, eighty six uh, seventeen. Still, it's got to be up pushing twenty dollars in the last two months. Uh, Brent down fifty seven cents, eighty seven eighty seven. Natural gas down eleven three ninety one. Back under four dollars with this cold snap. Again, a little bit of a surprise. Uh, we're getting surprised a lot lately. You notice that many? Our Bob unchanged 244. We've had gold down a buck ten at 1842. Silver up five cents. 24, 29. These markets are quiet today. They were, they were running up yesterday. Copper up four cents, 451. That was a nice buy under three dollars last year, whenever that was. And we have Bitcoin up 682 at 42,377. And we got for us traffic, weather, and sports. 38 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. That earlier stalled semi on the southbound Tri-State is all clear, so that's good news. Our slowest moving expressway right now is on the Kennedy. Both directions, we're approaching about 45 minutes uh, from O'Hare into downtown. No accidents to report, just uh, some traffic volumes building up. Eden's looking good. Traffic building steadily on the Eisenhower and Stevenson, but again, no accidents to report. Same for the Ryan. I-57 and the Bishop Ford appear all quiet right now as do the suburban tollways. Off the expressways, uh, we still have uh, Peterson closed uh, right near Pulaski there due to an overnight accident that uh, involved a car going into a building, causing entrapment, and at least one confirmed fatality. So a very serious crash that happened on the northwest side of the city that has Peterson closed uh, right there. But um, off the expressways out in the suburbs, still dealing with a water main break, in Downers Grove that has Washington closed between Warren Avenue and Rogers Street. And then way out west, uh, Fabian Parkway at Technology Boulevard. This is um, uh, out near uh, Aurora, North Aurora, uh, that there's an accident uh, at that intersection. But everything else all quiet out there. Weather today, a cold and frigid day, but we will have sunshine. Partly cloudy skies with a high of 18, uh, but it'll feel like it's about 3 degrees above zero. Right now it is clear and 11 with a wind chill of negative 4. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 73 today. Right now it's clear and 48. 
In sports, the Bulls snapped their four-game losing streak, uh, beating the Cavs 117-104. to Blackhawks were off. They'll welcome Minnesota into town tomorrow night. Coyotes played last night. They beat the Devils 4-1. to College hoops, DePaul lost to number 20, Xavier, 68-67. to Chief. So why don't you, as, our, as a, a man who knows all about media and, uh, you know, that kind of thing, and the producer of uh, Stacks and Jacks, why don't you put out a big news flash this morning that both you and Jan Flanagan, A, tested positive for COVID and, and have taken your, your names out of running for the Bears general manager position. <laughs> a lot of people are making announcements that are pretty unnecessary. Yeah, but all of a sudden you guys would be huge. I will say, speaking of me knowing a lot about media, I did take a call yesterday, or it was yesterday, two days ago, uh, from a prominent member uh, loosely affiliated with the University of Illinois, without mentioning any names. Uh, not somebody you know, but uh, anyway, um, I thought you'd find this interesting, and I thought John might too. Uh, he, he is part of a five-person committee that is uh, uh, building some sort of uh, database or I don't know what you would call it, some sort of platform for uh, funding NIL for recruiting for Illinois football and basketball. So essentially, what they're building, and I think a lot of other universities are doing something similar, maybe some already have it done, but these guys are still in the process, and he wanted to pick my brain on different ways he, I would recommend uh, utilizing social media and, and uh, sort of modern you know, marketing for, uh, for something like this. But basically, they want to be able to match uh, potential recruits and, and current players uh, with uh, uh, alumni, donors, business owners, and, and sponsors in a way that uh, will help the, uh, the teams uh, get, get players and, and get them paid to the point where they could even uh, potentially just have a big fund of money and pay the players a salary to play football at Illinois or play basketball at Illinois. And I think a lot of other universities are doing something similarly now that name image likeness is, is legal. And I found the whole conversation fascinating. And, uh, yeah. Hey, so. who was, uh, who was, uh, see, one of our guests or one of my clients that son was doing something like that with a firm for some other school, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, it's really happening to the point where, um, University of, you know, Kentucky, for example, or something is, is going to say, uh, you know, yeah, we have the same facilities as they do at Kansas or Duke or UCLA. Uh, yeah, we play the same strength of schedule. Um, and, uh, you know, we play the same level of conference, but we're going to pay you a million dollars a year to come here because we have a fund of, of donors that are willing to pay that for you to come here. And they can only pay you 50 grand a year. So where are you going to go? I think it's going to get to that point, And, um, that's where we're at. What, um, Jan, please opine on this from the legal end of this. That's why we, uh, Maddie, we, you know, you obviously bring up, always bring up stuff that's very, very, uh, cogent to what we we're just talking about. I mean, how far do you think this is going to, uh, stretch? I'll use that, that's a bad term, but I'll use it. In other words, it, say, say Notre Dame, say if I was a huge fan, which I'm, you know, I'm a little bit of a fan just because it gets my guys together. Uh, but I, I would be considered, even though I haven't given these guys a dime in 30 years, uh, ever since I left the Notre Dame Club of Chicago under kind of bad pretense, whatever. But but if if I were to hire somebody, this is this is two years ago. I'm considered a booster, even though I'm I'm not really. I'm you know I watch them, but uh, I mean I, because I'm an alumnus, I'm considered a booster, right, John? So I yeah. I could not. So if 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 PTI, for instance, um, was to hire somebody 
two years ago, if, you know, for the summer, and and paid him, you know, whatever, a bunch of dough, not a bunch of dough. I think there would have been all kinds of stuff to fill out and everything, and uh, and whether the person showed up and all, and and now this this marketing thing. Now, I think when the Supreme Court, whoever did it, this is just one man's opinion. They in their in their heart of hearts, they've essentially made it legal for uh, PTI to hire somebody as a as a you know clerk in the summer or whatever. And I think you made it for if, if you wanted to hire somebody to do some marketing for or uh, or to be in a catalog, to be pictures, whatever it is, maybe you can go ahead and do it. I I don't know. But what you're saying is the stretch now is we're just going to get up a bunch of money and pay people. We don't care if they show up at PTI or they ever show up for their modeling shoot. Well, is, is that so how far it's going? I, I, I don't know if it's going quite that far. So the, the, the meeting I took the other day, they were saying they would involve certain requirements, such as uh, some community efforts um, as part of it. Uh, so it's not like you would just get paid just to play basketball. Uh, there would be some, you know, some different things that you would do as part of the university and or as part of the community uh, that would uh, that would go along with it. I don't, I don't know exactly what those things are, but I thought that was interesting. So whether that, you know, I'm just making stuff up right now, but whether that's a certain amount of visits to the children hosp- children's hospital, a certain amount of hours, you know, volunteering for, for something, uh, you know, at, at, you know, raising money for something or whatever that might be, some charitable work, something like that. They, they were going to institute some requirements to go along with not just playing basketball uh, to receive that money. All right, so we could... It sounds like, you know, incentivizing some kind of stronger ties to the state and to local businesses, which goes beyond athletics, too. I mean, they, they don't really have control over college athletes once they go pros as far as where they go, but I, I do think that the, the stronger the ties they can build um, locally... It will reverse, I think, maybe in their eyes, some of the brain drain that states like Illinois are suffering, whether, you know, the people who are raised in Illinois go to University of Illinois or other state schools do not come back to Illinois after they graduate and, and take jobs elsewhere and lose all of affiliation with the university and maybe worse, economically speaking, with the state. And this has been a plaguing problem for a while now, and I, I would see it as a positive that if they address it in athletics it might signify willingness to do it in other areas too oh i guess where i'm i don't i i'm gonna say that if you were to do that matt and by the way i, I think you could make it work so suppose we we hired 10 guys that happened to be going to illinois or wherever we're going to paul or someplace and we said all right we're gonna we're gonna give you a, a money for the summer and, and for playing ball or whatever but by the way four nights a week we're going to have these park district clinics where young kids are going to get them off the street. We're going to have basketball clinics. And by the way, you're going to teach through. I, I have no problem with that. I think yeah, that's, that's a kind massive. Of what, that's kind of the, the well, that's how, a, how they're building it. Yeah. So now, the, 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 but me being the nefarious thinker I am, not because you would ever do that or John or me, some other school is going to say, hey, hey that Weber guy, he's, he's going to give you a hundred grand, but you actually got to show up four nights a week. How about you don't have to show up here at all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. And uh, another thing I found interesting was, um, so to raise that money, so, you know, obviously you have your, your big bang, you know, donors that for whatever reason, they, they love Notre Dame football or they love Illinois basketball or whatever. And, and they, there's some big wig at some company and they give, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. You have those, 
But you also have, you know, alumni that are 25 years old or 30 years old or 40 years old that don't have a lot of disposable income, but that really love, you know, DePaul basketball. Oh, yeah. So they're, they're going to be targeting those folks and, and saying, basically, you can be, you know, quote unquote, a part owner of this, this fund, sort of like the fake owners of the Green Bay Packers and, and, yeah. and, you know, give us, give us five bucks a month or give us, you know, ten bucks every other month or something as part of a subscription, and we'll throw in some swag. We'll throw in, you know, maybe a, a autograph type thing or tickets or something like that, and you'll be a part of it for a very small contribution. And and they're they're going to target alumni, fans, uh, local people, not just the big huge business owners and stuff like that. Right, and I, maybe even just let, let us use your name on promotional stuff as as a. You know, participant in this, you know, maybe not even give them much money at all, but but to make it look like they've got some real support behind it yep. in, in people, and you know, it, it's it's about recruiting down the road. It's all about building relationships with you know, people nationally. Um, it's probably not a bad thing at all. It's just kind of a smart marketing tactic. Yeah, and they're saying Illinois, I guess I didn't know this, but has the uh, second largest living alumni in the U.S. University of Illinois does. Uh, really? that's what they told me anyway. And, uh, and, and they feel like, you know, if we can, if we can target that large of a group, there's no reason why Illinois football should be so bad. How, how can it, <laughs> if the school is two thirds the size of Ohio State, how can they have more people still alive? I don't know. I, I, I think it shows they're doing a really good job of tracking their membership or <laughs> boosting the numbers or something. Man, is, is any of the money, is it just going to go to the people? By the way, if it hasn't come to your, your guys' attention, why don't you get this guy on? Well, we could if he, I don't know if he's willing to come on, but I could, I could ask. Well, now, does it expand to all sports or just the one? And are they going to walk into Illinois and say, hey, you know, you bumps don't have a men's soccer team, you don't have a hockey team. What's the matter with you? Let's, let's go. Well, I think it, I think ultimately it, it could expand to all sports. Uh, but I know that they're, they're focused on the revenue generating sports, uh, which, which at Illinois is football and basketball. At other schools, you know, the, a women's basketball program might be make money, or a wrestling program might make money, or a baseball program. But most schools, it's football and men's basketball. So I think that's what they're focused on initially. But I could see it absolutely expanding to the other sports, and maybe it has to. I don't know what the rules are. I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'm going to bet that hockey and Notre Dame is at least break even. I don't think, Chad. Oh yeah, well maybe more. Yeah, I think maybe more. Went to the BC game last night, so. I never thought you know, my niece would be a big sports fan, but going to Notre Dame has certainly <laughs> changed your priorities. Yeah, I read an article a couple of years ago that there's only a handful of schools in the whole country that have a, a non-football and men's basketball revenue-generating sport where they actually make a profit. There's like 10 or 12 schools, and it's like UConn with women's basketball. Uh, it's like uh, University of Texas with baseball. I was going to say Texas or Texas A&M yeah, with baseball, um, for sure. Iowa with wrestling. Really? They, they get 15,000 fans at their wrestling meets. People People pay to go to wrestling? Now? Oh, yeah. They, wow. they have a whole season ticket base and everything. It's crazy. Uh, there, there was a handful. It was and I, There was a couple hockey programs, maybe Minnesota's hockey program and maybe uh, you know, one of the Boston schools or something like that, but not many. It's pretty much all football and men's basketball. I went to a wrestling event at Notre Dame. But you you sat in a, on a, on a folding chair around the mat. <laughs> if you if you want to see something like you've never seen before, go to a wrestling meet at the University of Iowa. They have they'll have fifteen thousand people there. For it, it, they sell out the the whole arena. 
and they they're charging real money, real concession, and it's electric there. I mean, they had one at their football stadium a couple years ago to sort of emulate the Winter Classic that the NHL does, you know, on New Year's Day. And they had sixty thousand fans at the football stadium oh, for a wrestling is, meet. This is this is this is a meet meet. This is just a, a, one other school, is it? Yeah, one other school. Really? Yeah, when they're playing against like Minnesota or something. Yeah, it's insane. Or is Minnesota that good? Are they well, get a challenge? Well, eight of the eight of the I think top, I saw this yesterday. Eight of the top fifteen uh, ranked wrestling schools are all Big Ten schools. So it's like. Iowa is like always number one or number yeah. two. Penn State is always like number one or number two. And then you have like Minnesota's top five, Illinois top ten, you know, Michigan, Ohio State are top ten. They're all really I wonder good. if the, the Irish had, uh, when I was there, they had two All American wrestlers. They had, uh, uh, Bob Golick, Mike's older brother, and, uh, Fanning, the tackle that graduated. Was he a year behind us, John? He played for, uh, yeah. he was a heavyweight. He, you know, he lost to, who, remember the guy, it was before, this is, uh, BM, before Matty. Uh, Iowa had this, f- like, 400-pound, 375-pound heavyweight that ended up going to the Olympics, and he got he had never lost a match. He, he beat Fanning, I think. And then, uh, but some Russian beat him, and the guy was in tears. I mean, he, he couldn't believe he could lose. Anybody does some Russian beat him. I, mean, I don't know how big the <laughs> Russian was, but... I don't know a lot about wrestling, but I know it's it's really big in a lot of the rural Midwest. It's uh, it, it, it's incredible for high school kids because it's the conditioning is incredible. A lot of kids that are 112 pounds can can all participate. You don't have to be big. Matter of fact, the the, the lower it's a lot more it's a lot more enjoy, enjoyable. It's it's better to watch a 120 pound match than it is a heavyweight match. Oh yeah, I mean it's cause those guys are. It's like watching a you know a flyweight boxing thing. I mean the boxing is incredible. You know the guys are just small. I went to a lot of wrestling matches just as a spectator in high school, and they were intense. Um, and people I knew well, you know, you'd see them doing unbelievable things. The, the, uh, the, the, the they were riveting performances, really. And, and there was an intimacy to, to them that you didn't have with, you know, basketball or football, because you were right there. You could really see the looks on their faces and everything. It was, it was really great, great entertainment. But I'm, I'm going to say to, I mean, I'm not being a, a world-class athlete, but wrestling and boxing are still probably the two most, in, the, if you're not in, the highest end conditioning are those two sports, probably. I would say no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. If you, I don't know how how they can they survive in the Title Nine scrutiny these days, though. <laughs> At least men's wrestling, boxing. I don't know, but women's. But well, there's, there's no intercollegiate boxing anymore, is there? There used to be. There's probably just clubs. Yeah, it might yeah. just be clubs. Uh, but no, that, that, that's fascinating, man. Because I mean, it it's going to shake out. I just I hope it doesn't shake out as. As crooked as people think, that just everybody who wants to sponsor. Well, there's someone. no doubt this. You can probably name the four or five schools that are going to be crooked as hell because they're always crooked as hell, and they always hire the coach that cheats in football and the coach that cheats in basketball, and they don't care. You know, the Louisvilles of the world, the Auburns. I mean, they don't get. They just don't care. What the? So those, they will be crooked. There is no doubt in my mind. They've always been, and they always will be. But there's, but most schools, I think, will find sort of a, a balance. What What is the? Uh How's this going to be organized? You know, I always got to go to the juggler on this stuff and, and piss Maddie off. Are, are we talking about a, a foundation, a C corp? I mean, I mean, who, who's going to be in charge? Are going to be a board? I mean, who decides who gives what to who? Good question. Yeah, that, I don't, I don't know that answer, and I don't know if they're that far along or, or not, and, and I don't know what the requirements are. I'd have to read up a ton on this. Well, if if, if I were to do something like that, and the guys were going to be giving time back to the community, I could very easily be coerced. But I, but I'll be. Uh, <laughs> I'll be ape bleep 
if all of a sudden they find out the group you know bought off an old coach for eight million dollars so he'd leave i mean i, I don't want to do that right yeah i think this yeah. is specifically for name image likeness so i think this is specifically for players recruiting okay. and or existing how do you, players how do you think those groups are that get together and buy these coaches out i mean is that is that just a bunch of guys throwing a check in the pool or what i guess yeah it's it's no different than I guess donating to the hospital to get your name on a wing or something. Right. Different know. level of donor circle. But, uh, yeah. you, you, but you think the the Maddie Weber check actually goes to John Flanagan and they get him the hell out of there, or it gets I use the term laundered in the middle. There's another pot and, and the check gets written by. ABC I'm sure Club. it gets laundered in the middle. Yeah, I think it gets written by the school. But uh, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's I the, half the what are the half the the coach's job. Well, the, a coach's job is it's thirds, right? Yeah. One one third is the the recruiting. One third is the actual on the field X's and O's, and the other third is just the politicking for more money. Oh, gotcha. To raise, you know, for uh, the, the local and the stadium and the the uh, the facilities, all of that. I mean, they're always doing golf tournaments and benefits and and speaking. You know, how many speaking engagements do they do throughout the year to raise money? Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Well, how come it's one I, third of the job? How come in Illinois? And this is, I mean, I don't I don't think I'm alone here, but uh, how come in, in Ohio, the entire state is all over Ohio State? Iowa, I mean, obviously some people probably like Iowa State or Wisconsin, the same way everybody, the lady here in the office, she went to Wisconsin. She's a fanatic Wisconsin fan. Why is it in Illinois, most people, I mean, not just me because I went to Notre Dame, but I know a lot of people that are, I mean, the guys I was with last night, they're, they're DePaul fans, there's Marquette fans. I mean, it's very rare, that unless somebody actually went there, did anybody, you know, it's like being a Northwestern fan. They don't want any part of me. I don't want any part of them. I, I mean, did Northwestern create that wall, or I don't? I don't know that people here. I think it's the it's the difference between a big city and a not yeah. not. So I think if you had been somewhere other than Champaign, it would be different. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know where it would would have been place that would have made a bigger difference positively. But I, I think it was the wrong choice location. Yeah, New York City—they don't give a rat's ass about the, the college teams. Same with Chicago. Well, they do for the ones in, in New York. No, they don't. I mean, yeah, just to the same extent that we care about DePaul, which is a very, very small percentage of people, they might care about St. John's or something. Well, they don't care about NYU. I don't know if they have a team. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you know, of course, they, there's a, there's some people that went to Syracuse, and they care about Syracuse or something like that. But You're probably right. L.A., they don't care. UCLA, they don't care about UCLA. Or USC, oh, they don't? I mean, no. I don't have no idea. Unless you, the, the city as a whole, absolutely not. Uh, unless you went there, I mean, it just they people big cities. There's other stuff going on now. But if you're in a state that doesn't have a, a big huge city, your college team is almost like your pro team. I mean, it's it's right. like in Ohio they worship Ohio State. I mean, it's crazy. Well, yeah, and but uh, well, they don't have as many. Well, they actually they have a bunch of pro teams there, but they're on the other ends of the state. Yeah, but what Iowa is, I mean, you guys, but no, nobody's crazy as Nebraska. Well, Ohio State might. Be. Nebraska is 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 probably on its own level because they only have one big school, whereas like Iowa has two big schools. Uh, Nebraska only has one, and they don't have any professional teams. And it's the whole state is very rural outside of Omaha. I mean, they only it's just one like, interstate, right? It's just kind of it's it's really you have Omaha kind of right on the edge on the border of Iowa, and then the, that whole state is just desolate. Yeah, if it wasn't for Lincoln growing like a weed because of the university. Yeah. Um, anywho, so the uh, Jan, what do you think? Um, we're going to talk just the market and inflation here and so forth. 
We only got only got thirty five seconds. We won't talk much about it. We'll talk more about it on Monday. You've been getting stiffed on your Monday between all the holidays and uh, everything else, huh? Yeah, well, it's because of this Monday phenomenon. You know, that's where the, the everybody likes the Monday extension of the weekend rather than anticipating it on Friday. So. Yeah, anyway, have a nice week. Hopefully, I'll see you. Maybe uh, I don't know if I'll see you this weekend, but hopefully, we'll see you soon. It's been a while. Yeah, it's not great. that cold. It's no snow. We got to get together before we get snow. Uh, <laughs> S and P futures up twenty one. Nasdaq futures up one fifty. Are we going to stay up today, or are we going to dive on a close again? You guys got, a, got a, an opinion? No opinion for me. Oh, I hope we stay up. We're a little, we're a little long. We need a we need a bounce here. Everybody, be back on uh, Monday. Have a nice weekend. What do we learn, Palmer? We'll be back I tomorrow. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.